So we're, uh, no, okay, so here's the deal. We're in our Advent series, and it's called The Christmas Story, as opposed to A Christmas Story, uh, which is about Ralphie and his, you know, journey to secure the Red Ryder Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle. Uh, that's not what this is about, but this is about the Christmas story, the story of the birth of Christ. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking uh, about what the Christmas story means. We're going to be talking about the Christmas story. And um, we're going to, uh, this morning, we're going to start it off by talking about the story before the story. You see, most of us think that when you think of the Christmas story, you think uh, about it starting uh, with the birth of Christ, that uh, baby Jesus being born in a manger, that that's the Christmas story. But the truth is that the Christmas story started centuries before that. In fact, the first time that it's mentioned uh, in the Bible that God is preparing something for his church, for his people, uh, for his children, is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So all the way back to Genesis, it starts that God is going to restore what's been broken, that he has a plan for his people, and it continues on. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to begin it with Matthew, the first chapter, reading verses 18 to 23. So join me as I read these verses. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we have this scene that... that, that uh, Joseph and Mary are betrothed, and, and that was tantamount to being married in those days. In fact, to break a betrothal was, was, uh, was like getting divorced. And so here's Joseph. He finds himself at an unexpected twist in his life, an unexpected place. He had his life a little planned out. He's a carpenter. He's going to marry this cute girl named Mary. They're going to live happily ever after. Suddenly, he finds out that she's pregnant. He's going to quietly divorce her. Uh, he's going to step away. He doesn't want to humiliate her. He doesn't want to destroy her, but he, he, he knows that something needs to happen, and it says that, that an angel appears to him in a dream and says that this child is of the Holy Spirit, that God is doing something, that God is fulfilling a promise that he made hundreds of years ago and you continue to take Mary as your wife. Now, in this Matthew, who is Jewish, he's a Jewish tax collector, he is writing to largely, in the book of Matthew, his audience is largely Jewish people, and so he's constantly trying to remind them of who they are and where they came from and what they've already been taught. So he goes back to the book of Isaiah to remind them of the prophecy about Jesus. So this verse that we just read is from Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the angel shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Now, Isaiah was an 8th century B.C. prophet. He's one of the most famous of the prophets. He wrote the first of the major prophetic books in the Old Testament. It's 66 chapters long. Uh, He was was probably a cousin of King Uzziah. He lived in the court in Jerusalem. He was well-known, well-respected. And 700 years before the birth of Christ, he speaks these words. He says that someday there'll be a Savior will be born. He will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're to wait for the coming of our Messiah. And so the, Israel, the Israelites wait. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. 700 years before the birth of Christ, these claims were made. But remember, it started in Genesis. It continues. If you read the Old Testament, dotted all through the Old Testament, it all points to the birth of Christ, that there is prophecy after prophecy that God will send a Messiah, that God is going to keep his promise, that God is preparing the way to restore all things. And Isaiah is part of that. And so the Israelites wait and they prayed and they hoped for centuries. And we hate to wait, don't we? I mean, seriously, we are, we are bad at waiting. We don't like to wait for anything. Our, our attention span, um, particularly nowadays, is so short uh, that you have to get your message out fast. You have to do things quickly because you lose people um, if you don't. We hate to wait. If we wait too long, we want to blame someone or something. Uh, but we look at these people in the Old Testament. They were about to be overrun by the Assyrians. They were overrun by the Babylonians. They were overrun by the Syrians. The Babylonians said, we want you back. They overrun them again. Eventually, by the birth of Christ, they've been overrun by the Romans. The, the Jewish people were always under occupation. They were always being taken over by somebody. They knew that the enemy was at the gates and God had promised to do something for his people and yet they waited and century after century after century, they waited for God to keep his promise. Uh, but you know what God did for the Israelites is that God would cr- God created, he, he gave them these laws, he gave them these opportunities to remember that they had these feast days and these times of celebration. So once a year, they would gather together, for example, and they would celebrate what they called the Passover. And they would take time, they would slow down, and they would be remember what God had done in Egypt, that they were all slaves, that they had lived in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. But God sent Moses, and he freed his people from Egypt, and he sent them on a journey to the promised land. And so they would stop every year to, be, to remember, to take a deep breath, and be reminded how God had kept his promise to the, to the Israelites when they were in Egypt and that he would continue to keep his promises to them. And so all throughout the year, they had these different times, these different festivals, these different celebrations where they were being reminded of how God was faithful and how God cared for his people and God was continuing to work in their midst. And so they waited. Now, I read a great story about a 12-year-old girl who, um, who's signed up to do a 5K. It's cool, huh? She signed up to do a 5K, and, and so she gets dropped off by her mom, and her mom drops her off early, and she sees all these people at the starting line, so she thinks, oh, I'm late. I run. She runs to the starting line. The, the, the race starts. What she didn't know is that before the 5K, they were starting a half marathon, 
And so this 12-year-old girl finds herself in a half marathon, and now she's in this race. She has no idea that she's gotten in the wrong race. Her mom parks the car, shows up, and can't find her daughter. She finally gets the police. They They start looking for this girl that's been kidnapped, lost, something's happened to her, and for two hours they can't find her daughter, and suddenly a policeman brings the little girl to her mom and explains to her that she's been in the wrong race. She finished 1,888 out of 2,011 runners, but she did finish actually really high in her age group for the race, and she told her mom, I just kept running, knowing that eventually I had to finish. And it made me think how many times we have thought we entered into a 5K to, to find out we were in a half marathon. You know, a 5K is three miles, a half marathon's 13.1 miles. And we, we started something, we started in a race, we started on a journey, we started with a task, something in our lives, and we thought that we had a beginning and an end and we were ready to knock it out, and all of a sudden we find that it isn't, exa- it isn't anything uh, that we thought it was gonna be, and we've gone from a 5K to a half marathon and we never knew it but we just keep going. It just feels like it never ends. The closer we think we get to the finish, the the farther it is away. Well, that's what the children of Israel felt like, that they, for for a thousand years, they had remembered the prophets. For a thousand years, they'd remembered the promises that God had made all through the Bible. You know, cynics could say, well, wouldn't they have just gone back after the life of Jesus and added those things to make those prophecies work? But but here's the problem, is that the Israelites, the history of Israel, what was all about them celebrating and remembering God's promises and reminding each other of what God promised to do. So you can't go back and add something that people have been celebrating and remembering for a thousand years. The, the other part is that all of the Israelites knew the book of Psalms. They, they, in those festivals and the times of prayer, they would recite the Psalms, they would pray the Psalms, they would sing the Psalms. And throughout the book of Psalms, there's at least a half dozen places where it talks about the coming of the Messiah. So you don't go back and add something when people for a thousand years have been singing it and quoting it and praying it uh, in their times together. It was already there that God had made those promises and now he was fulfilling them in the birth of Jesus. But we go back 700 years to Isaiah and here's something interesting that he says, that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, I pulled this out because it's particular prophecy about the birth of Jesus that he will come from the lineage of Jesse. I love this because typically when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus being from the lineage of David. David was the famous one. He was the king of Israel, arguably the greatest king of Israel. He, he, um, he, he was the best known. David and Goliath, all the stories, all the things that we remember. But here Isaiah chooses to remind us that Jesus came from the lineage of Jesse, David's father. And here's one of the reasons that I think he did this and I think is so profound is that most of us, we don't know much about Jesse. He isn't a famous guy. His claim to fame, his resume had one line, father of David. That was it. That's what he had going for him, father of David. And you know what? He not only, he wasn't famous, but he didn't even pick David first. the, The prophet Samuel came and said, someone from your family is going to be the king of Israel. And he had 12 sons and David was the 12th one that he guessed. He didn't even get that part right. 
But here's what Isaiah wants us to understand. It is that God doesn't just use the famous and God doesn't just use the great, but God uses anyone. And he wants to remind us that God used Jesse, that the Messiah, that the Christ would come from the line of Jesse and from the tribe of Judah. And he reminded us of that of 700 years, he reminded us of that 700 years before the birth of Christ so that we could remember, so that people would have something to hold on to, so that the Israelites, as they waited, as they prayed, would have something to be reminded. He is gonna come. God's gonna keep his promise. Look what he's done in the past. He's promised us a future. He's gonna keep his promises. God always keeps his promises. Well, Galatians 4.4, Paul says something to us. It's really wonderful. He says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law. I I love this because God and I sometimes get on a different plane when it comes to timing. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes I'm saying, God, I'm ready. Okay, we're good. I've learned the lesson. Whatever it is, whatever you wanted to teach me, whatever it is, I'm ready to go. Let's finish this. Let's do this now. And God is on a different, uh, works in a different time frame. He, he, he's got different ideas in mind. He's got different things in mind that he's doing in my life. And so I continue to wait. It's not about my timing, but it's about his timing. And here the apostle Paul says, when it was the fullness of time, when everything was ready, he sent his son. And here's what we know from history. Uh, the, we know that during the at the birth of Jesus that the Romans ruled most of the known world. And that wouldn't be such a big deal except for a couple of things. One is that they had what they called the Pax Romana. It was the Roman peace. And that there was a significant peace uh, around uh, the known world at the time because the Romans controlled everything. And if you got out of line, you had to deal with the Roman army. And so subsequently, people wouldn't get uh, out of line too much. That it was a relatively peaceful time in history because of the Romans. The other thing that we know about the time is that the Romans, to get their troops to, to all the various places in their realm, they built great roads, roads everywhere. So when Jesus was born, and finally when the church was birthed and the gospel went out, the roads were already prepared for the gospel to go out uh, all through the world. It was done. Another thing that was really important at the time is that the, the Romans loved all things Greek. They loved Greek literature, they loved Greek philosophy, they loved the Greek language, and so most of the known world would ha- had a common language. If there was a common language at all in the time, it was Greek, and so uh, when the scriptures were written, they were written in Koine Greek. Uh, when the gospel was going out, uh, one, there was a common language that many, many people knew, and that was the Greek language, and so everything was in place. The roads were in place, there was a peace that so you could travel easier than you could have ever traveled before. There was a common language that people People used all of these things were in place it was the fullness of time and God sent Jesus right at that time when everything was ready now I don't know if you felt better if you were part of the lineage that had waited for a thousand years for all this to come but here's what we know that God had promised them and that God continued to keep his promises and they waited and God answered their prayers you know when the waiting was over, it was not always what they or who they expected. And maybe some of them had lost hope and had given up on the prophecies and had kind of forged their own way. But that didn't mean God wasn't going to keep his promises. God still kept his promises to his people, and he still does. Uh, There's another great article in the New York Times um, written by 
uh, a journalist, Alex Stone, and he tells a story about how executives in Houston uh, solved a great problem at the Houston airport. You see that people were complaining like crazy that they were waiting too long at baggage claim. And so, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but um, they were waiting too long at the baggage claim, and, and so finally the, these executives at the airport in Houston decided, we need to resolve this, and, uh, and so they hired a bunch more baggage handlers so that they could speed up the time that the baggage would get from the airplane uh, to baggage claim, and they got it down to eight minutes. And the complaints didn't stop. They kept going, and here was the problem, is that the, the problem was that it took one minute to get from the airplane, passengers to get from the airplane to the baggage claim, and seven minutes to wait for your bags, and it was just too much. It was too much to handle. I'm this serious. Okay, this really happened. And so here's what they did. The executives got back together, and how are we gonna solve this complaint? How are we gonna get rid of all these complaints? And what they did is they moved the gates further away so it took longer to walk to the baggage claim and the, and the complaint stopped. Because it, people were taking, it was, by the time they got to baggage claim, their luggage was there and they thought, this works perfect, problem solved. Now in the same article, this Alex Stone, this journalist interviewed, and I love this because people really do have these jobs, it's amazing, but he interviewed an MIT operations researcher named Richard Larson, who was the world's leading expert on waiting in lines. I kid you not, there's a person like this. So he's the world's leading expert on waiting in lines to discover the psychology behind our waiting. And here's what he says, what happened at the Houston airport makes a perfect illustration. According to Larson, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. Isn't that interesting? The length of the wait isn't as important as what we're doing while we wait. And we wait for God. We wait for God to keep his promises. We wait for God to fulfill the, the prophecies. We wait for God to do what he's promised us that he will do. And the question is, what are we doing while we wait? Because we know that we're going to wait. The, the children of Israel waited for over a thousand years. And before that, they had the promises of God, but still they waited. And the question is, what do we do while we wait? And I believe that's the reason that God gave them those festivals and those times of celebration to stop, to take a deep breath, to remember how God had been faithful, that he would continue to be faithful, how he'd cared for them, and how he would continue uh, to care for them. And he wants us to remember. He doesn't want us to lose heart. The question is, what will we do while we wait? Isaiah, again, going back to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, say this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And that was 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah told us this is what God was gonna do, and this is who Christ, the Messiah, was going to be. But I love the first lines, for unto us, for to us is born 
A child is born, for to us is born a Savior. That God sent Jesus, that he might be Emmanuel, that he might be God with us, that he would be God with skin on, that we would experience a relationship with the God of the universe. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. And then look at the names that Isaiah gives to the Messiah. He will be a wonderful counselor. He'll be a mighty God an everlasting father and the prince of peace. He's going to establish his kingdom and it'll be a kingdom of peace that there, and there'll be no end to his peace. You know, we're in a longer race than we anticipated. And you might be here this morning and you've had expectations or you've had dreams or you've had things that you've asked God for and, and you're getting a little tired of waiting and you're getting a little weary of the wait. And I would remind you of the weight that the Israelites had and how God continued to fulfill. At the fullness of time, he fulfilled all of his promises. At the fullness of time, God, God took the next step in his plan for redemption. And we know, as we talked about Advent, that God will continue to do that until he sends Jesus to return, to take his church to be with him, that there's still a promise, that we are still a people that are waiting. And as we come to the Christmas season, not only are we reminded of the birth of Christ, but we're also reminded of what he has promised, that he's promised to come back, that he's promised to take us to be with him, that he's preparing a place for us, that where he is, we may be also all of these things that God has promised us. And we have all of the history of God to be reminded that he is faithful to keep his promises to us. So all of this, all of this life requires a little bit of faith, doesn't it? A little bit of faith that God is going to keep his promises, that God is going to continue to do what he, he said he, was do, he would do. And just as we've talked about the Advent candles this morning, the first candle is hope and the second candle is peace. That without faith, there is no hope. Without hope, there is no peace. That, that really peace in our lives is a byproduct of the hope that we have in Christ. And, and so I, I would say this this morning, that, that we are waiting for God, that we are in this waiting journey with him, but we have hope because of who Christ is. We have hope because Christ has kept his promises. We believe that he'll continue to keep his promises. We have faith in who he is, not in us, but in who he is. And because of that faith, we can be people of hope. And because of the hope we have, we can be people of peace because we know that God will keep his promises. We know in the end, Jesus is gonna fulfill everything that he promised us. So to give up waiting is to give up hope. And to give up hope will cost you any chance at real peace. You know, you may be tired of waiting, but we know that Christ is faithful. And we may hate to wait, but nothing can compare to the peace that we receive when our hope is firmly placed in Jesus. So maybe there are a couple of questions that you could reflect on this morning. Maybe one of the questions is, you know, what have you been waiting for? Uh, has it been your timing or is it the Lord's timing? How often have you paused to just reflect on how God has already kept his promises, on what he's already done, so that your hope is built on his promises and his sacrifice and his love for us and, and not your own expectations or your own ability to, to do things, but in who he is. Because our hope, our peace, 
is in Christ, not in us, not in anything we can do or accomplish, but in who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder this season that that you are a God of hope and you are a God of peace and that you keep your promises and that we need to be reminded, Lord, of your faithfulness throughout history uh, and that your promise to continue to be faithful in our lives, Lord. And so we thank you, we praise you. Lord, I ask that uh, you would encourage us. Um, I ask, Lord, that you would that you would prompt us, that you would challenge us to, to consider what we've been waiting for. Uh, Lord, that what we've been hoping in, uh, where we find real peace in our lives. And Lord, that you would be our hope and that you would be our peace this morning. So we thank you for that. We give you all the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name.